Are you recording now? Recording. <laughs> this is gonna sound weird. Things are about to get weird. Just get to the murder. And welcome back. Welcome back. It's Wednesday. Friday for you. Or maybe a different day. Right. It could be any of the days of the week, depending on when you're listening to this. And it could be any location, depending on where you're listening. That's true. Um, maybe an airplane. Mm-hmm. Maybe your office. Yeah. Maybe the pool. I've, I've been listening to podcasts a lot at the pool. Uh, while everyone else is, you know, enjoying the rays and all that, I am listening to just cold-blooded murder podcasts. Same. Been listening to a lot of podcasts at work, obviously. You know, I work pretty independently you know, just doing some research. I'll be listening to murder podcasts the whole time while I'm researching data privacy. Super scandalous, one would say. Um, but if you're curious as to what kind of podcast this is and what it's called, it's called This Is Gonna Sound Weird. And I'm Taylor, one of the hosts. And I'm Sydney, your other host. And each week we tackle a topic about all things true crime, paranormal, and everything in between. Taylor, what's our theme for this week? Our theme for this week is toxic love speaking of toxic love britney spears got married this week congrats hate to i hate that she had to overshadow your nuptials taylor damn you know i didn't even know she got married this week for some reason i thought she had already got married a little while ago but you know what good for her yeah my wedding it will it will be the wedding of the century, but I'll allow her to uh, take the spotlight for just this one week. You know, that's really generous of you. You're such a giver. Yeah. She deserves that. She's been through a lot. <laughs> she, she has. She has. Um, she's free now, and she is going to have herself a wedding with a flower wall. Oh, yeah. So that's all, that's all you could hope for. Classy. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm not going to bore you with, you know, pop culture news. Because I'm sure by the time you listen to this, that'll be old news. Mm-hmm. It won't be fresh Mm-mm. off the presses. And guess what? This case I'm about to cover, also not fresh off the presses, as it took place in the 1990s. Do you know what case I'm talking about? All right, well, I'll go ahead and tell you, Taylor. Okay. And for the folks at home. Okay, I'm listening. I am doing the case that shocked the nation. The case of Mary Catherine Latournau. Ever heard of it? Uh, no. Maybe. I don't recognize the name, but there's a possibility I know it, considering I know all true crime cases ever just kidding i don't know i may know it you mentioned it to me uh but i didn't look into it obviously because i was gonna wait for you to tell me about it perhaps you'll you know it'll spark something when i actually get to talking about it Mm -hmm. so just real quick my sources were wikipedia of course New York Times, and there was a documentary that I found on YouTube, and that was on 7 News Spotlight. Mm -hmm. It was just like, kind of like a quick little 30 minutes, kind of like a 2020. But, Mary Catherine Schmitz 
was born in 1962 in Tustin, California. She was raised a strict Catholic and attended an all-girls Catholic school. Her father held positions as a California state senator and U.S. congressman. And he intended to run for the U.S. Senate in 1982, but later that year it was revealed that he had fathered two children during an affair with a former student of his oh, hell. Uh, when he taught at Santa Ana College when he taught political science. Mm, yeah, that's not good for a political campaign. Mm. Unknown children are notoriously bad for a political campaign. Yeah, fuck them kids. <laughs> yeah. And anyways, but in 1973, Mary Catherine's three-year-old brother drowned in the family pool in their home mm-hmm. while she was playing with another brother in the shallow end. So from a pretty early age, she had maybe some trauma that she didn't process mm-hmm. and also... Um, not a great role model in the house. Yep. Yeah, sounds like it. While attending Arizona State University, Mary met and married fellow student Steve Letourneau. And together, the two would go on to have four children together. However, Mary would later state that she was not in love with Steve and married him due to the pressure put on her by her parents. Mm-hmm. In 1989, she graduated from college with a teaching degree, and the couple moved to the Seattle area of Washington, where Mary became a well-liked and respected teacher at Shorewood Elementary School. And she she was a pretty gal. You know, it kind of, the documentary painted it as her being, you know, like when you got like the cute little, like, young teacher, mm-hmm. you know, pe- the kids really like it. And she was well-liked in the community. She had four kids of her own. And from what I can understand, this was a fairly small town, even though it was in, like, the Seattle area. Mm, So I feel like everybody kind of knew everybody. Like a little suburb. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So on the outside, their marriage looked perfect, but reportedly on the inside, Letourneau's marriage suffered. Yeah. They had financial problems, Mm -hmm. and both parties engaged in extramarital affairs. Mm -hmm. Mary's attorney and former neighbor reported that Mary was emotionally and physically abused by her husband. And during their marriage, twice went to the hospital for treatment and the, ho- the police were even called to their home. However, charges were never filed. Mm. While a teacher in Seattle, Mary met and first taught Villy Follow. When Villy was in the second grade, he was just eight years old. Villy with a V. And V I L L I. Villy. At first I was like, dang, can, is she saying Billy? <laughs> saying Villy. Villy. Mm, never with heard a v that as name before. <laughs> okay. And you probably and you probably never will. Yeah. Uh, probably not. So Villy came from a troubled home. His father had been married five times, and he had seventeen brothers and sisters. Nobody. So I imagine the his parents were you, you know fairly preoccupied 
and probably stretched fairly thin because they had so many kids to look after. So I feel like he probably got lost in the shuffle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so Billy, when he was in the sixth grade, attended a summer school program that Mary taught. From my understanding, it was like an art program. Okay. And at this time, he was 12. And like any good 12-year-old boy, he, you know, got dared to do things sometimes. So he was dared by his classmates to make a move on his teacher, Mary. And what once started out as a dare quickly became a relationship as 34-year-old Mary and Villy grew closer. Oh, no. No. Mm-hmm. Hell no. Did you see that coming? No. Well, yes, because you said it was about some, a person who had a relationship with a student. Um, I wasn't quite expecting such a young child. Um, Yeah. That's bad. I just don't. How could. I just don't. A 12 year old. A literal 12 year old. Like, what? A 12 year old, yes. And she was 34. Like, yeah. Mm mm. No. No. And you know, yeah. when I was like, I'm thinking like, when I was 16, I thought that I seemed like, you know, old, like, oh, I'm an adult. But my little brother is now 16, and I'm like, oh, that's young. Like, it's still young, young. You know, mm-hmm. once you're, you know, once you're not that age anymore, you can see how young it really is. And 12 is like a totally different ball game, Mary. It's a, it's illegal. Yeah, 12, you can't do any, 12, you can't do anything. No. You're at 12 years old. Your parents are still dropping you off at the movies and picking you back up. My parents at 12 wouldn't even take me to the movies by myself. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Because you were wild. <laughs> totally. Not. <laughs> uh, my mom would drop me and my friends off at the movies and she would go sit at the Barnes and Noble that was just down okay. the street. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, then she, and then she would come back and pick us up. Yeah, well. So. But if she liked the movie, she'd come and sit with us. But, <laughs> you know, she wasn't really into Twilight, which was really big at the time. Oh, yeah. But... One day, police spotted Mary and Villy being intimate in her car in the parking lot of the local marina. Mary explained that the boy was, you know, one of her students and that his parents knew that he was with her. Okay. Which, you know, seems suspicious, but since Mary was so well-liked in the area, the police kind of just went with it and let the two go. Yeah. But, quickly, rumors in the town began to spread that a teacher in the area was having an affair with a student, and that that teacher was now pregnant. Oh. And with it being a small town, people began to talk and try to figure out who this teacher could be. And despite the rumors, the two continued their affair. All while Mary was still married to her husband, Steve, and raising their four kids. Oh, God. And it said that the two would have, like, intimate moments in her home while her family was out. Uh, Which is crazy, because I imagine that if she had kids, I would think that her kids would be around the same age. I probably went to the same school. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, because she has four of them, so you think some of them would at least be a little bit older. 
um, mm-hmm. you know, at least like 10 or so. Yeah. And not that that makes, not that it, if she didn't have kids, this would still be fucked up. Yeah. But to me, it's even crazier that she was a mother. And you could because, do that. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Like I my don't. sister, she has two kids and she says she can't even watch like movies or TV shows that like crime shows that uh-huh. have anything to do with kids being hurt because it upsets her so badly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what I've heard people say when they have kids. I guess one day when I have them, I'll let y'all know how the these true crime stories affect me. Yeah. I mean, I don't even really like true crime stories that involve children. No. It, it, I, don't, it I don't think most me, people but do. I don't got no kids. <laughs> I'm going ahead and saying. Hot take. Crimes on children. Hot take. Crimes, crimes on- against children. Not okay. Not okay. <laughs> That's the platform. I'll die on that hill. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Haters come at me. <laughs> Go I'll ahead and cancel on. us for that one. <laughs> now, Steve, her husband, suspected that Mary was having an affair, uh, but didn't know with who, mm. and ended up finding letters that had been sent between Billy and Mary, and that confirmed what he believed to be true. But it also confirmed that the person she was having an affair with was a student of a very, very young age. Oh, good. So her husband ends up moving out of their home. And one of his relatives ends up notifying a member of the school district that Mary worked at regarding her affair. So in March of 1997, Mary was arrested and charged with rape. And the court case was captured on camera, and basically, the entire nation was enthralled Mm -hmm. by this story, because it was a small town, and people really felt like she took, like, advantage of him, and the fact that, like, he, you know, was so young and impressionable, and she was, you know, you, you trust when you send your kids to school that they're going to be taken care of and safe and the one person that's supposed to be looking out for them is you know yeah actually the predator yeah Mm -mm. and you never think that it at least i mean even now and back then the young nice like elementary school female teacher is never the one that anybody thinks is going to be a predator Mm mm-hmm Yeah, I feel like a lot of times it is, like, we think of it being, like, a male teacher to a female student. And they even mentioned this in the documentary that, like, when they initially got caught in the car, Mm -hmm. had it been a older male with a younger female, they would have immediately gone to jail. They would have immediately been arrested. But since she was, you know, this cute, young... female and it was a male student it was like okay well yeah and you also said he was kind of from like a troubled home so she probably was like you know i'm just you know trying to help him he doesn't have a lot of family blah blah blah, trying to make it you know seem like she's just really trying to help him through these tough times because you know i feel Mm -hmm. like sometimes elementary school teachers you know they'll kind of take in like a kid not like actually take them in but you know they'll give a little special attention to a kid that they know you know has a, a little bit harder at home than the others but uh, usually mm-hmm. it's just something like, you know, if the kid comes in and they may have some dirty clothes, you might give them some other clothes or, you know, t- you know, just help them out. You're not taking them places in your car. Yeah. 
No, it, it definitely, there's boundaries within it. Yep. it you know, it's got to be like, oh, you make sure that they have snacks to take home mm-hmm. or, you know, make sure that they're, you know, getting their homework during maybe during lunch because, you know, no one's going to help them when yep. they get home. Yep. But the craziest thing about Mary's trial is that throughout it, she insisted that she, quote, didn't know she was committing a crime. What? And this is truly the hill that she is willing to die on. Oh, because even even now, when she is like 50-some years old, she's like, I didn't know that it was illegal. And the interviewer was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, what do you mean you didn't know? She's like, had someone told me, <laughs> Mary, this is, I would have I stopped. Like, mm, even if you did like, first of all, if you don't know it's illegal, you're freaking stupid. You even even if you don't know it's illegal, you gotta know that it's morally wrong. Yeah. Just because something is legal doesn't mean it's morally okay. You know, we learned that, you know, like yeah. in philosophy class and like shit like that. Also, um, if... Like, if she really thought it wasn't illegal or whatever, then why didn't she just bring it out into the open and tell her husband, like, I want to leave you for my student. Like, this isn't going to work. Uh, why keep it a secret? Huh? Clearly, you know, something's wrong about it other than just that it's an affair. Yeah, like, if you, if you truly didn't know it was illegal, then, I mean, yeah, you're having an affair, you know, you're cheating on your husband. But I feel like everybody just you, come right out and everybody you come right out husband. and just be like, I don't. Yeah, everybody cheats on their husband. Ain't no thing. Um, I'd like to. I'd like to go ahead and say, we are being sarcastic. Yeah, Taylor is not was... having an affair. No. Yeah. Now that <laughs> I'm married, not che- Now that he's married, no, I'm definitely not cheating on my husband. She's no longer. Che- she's no longer cheating on Brandon. Now that they're married. <laughs> <laughs> that was good sarcasm. Um, Luckily, no. uh, he does not listen to this, and he never will. And even if he did start listening to this episode, there's no way he would make it to the 18-minute mark. So. Yep, that's probably true. Yeah. Yes, not cheating on but, my husband. That was sarcasm. Don't come at me. Don't start rumors. That's not okay. That's mean. Do not cancel... Do not cancel us for this. Cancel us for the comment about crimes against children. I still think that's wrong. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just hammer that home. Yep. Now, even though Villy was 12 years old when the affair began, Mary reached a plea deal where she would receive a lesser penalty if she confessed to second-degree rape of a 13-year-old, because by the time they went to trial, he was 13. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Mary ends up giving birth to the couple's first daughter, Audrey, mm-hmm. two months after her sentencing. So she was pregnant. And just... She was pregnant. Dun-dun-dun. Oh, God. Then just three months after completing her six months in prison... Even though she was strictly told to no longer contact the boy, yep. Mary and Billy were once again caught in an affair. Oh, good. The two were spotted by police making out in a car after going to the movies, <laughs> and Mary was immediately arrested. Uh-huh, yep. 
When, when she was arrested, police found $6,200 in cash, baby clothes, and her passport inside the car, mm. along with receipts for $850 in purchases since January 20th for men's, young men's, and infant clothing. And Mary said that the money was for a dermatology treatment and for her divorce lawyer. And that some of the men's clothes were gifts for relatives or for herself since she enjoyed wearing an oversized men's clothing <laughs> okay. uh, because, you know, they uh, they run a little bit bigger. You but, just get bigger women's clothing, Mary. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> um, but I'm going to go ahead and say I think that she was planning on running away with him. Mm-hmm. I would, that's what I would say as well. Uh, but she was sent back to court where she once again went on trial and she got the same judge that she had before. Okay. And this judge was, you know, needless to say, not happy to see her back. <clears throat> and so she was given the maximum sentence, which at the time was seven and a half years. Okay. And while serving... She gave birth to the couple's second child, oh, Georgia. God. Why? Why? And the t- I don't know. She's I 30 something know. years old. I think she knows how you get babies at this point. God. Yeah. Um and you got to think at this point he has had two children under and he's only 15 at this time. Also, who's taking care of these children? I mean, could it- could he legally even take care of them? Or did they go into the foster care system? Because she's in um, prison. I, she, so he has custody of the children along with his parents. Okay. Still, what what the heck? I bet his parents were like, God dang it. Yeah, we already got 17 brothers and sisters. What the Oh, hell? yeah, I forgot that he came from. Oh, he, oh hell. That's bad. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, uh, like I said, she gave birth to Georgia while in prison, and the two continued their relationship while she continued to serve her time, but Billy was, quote, allowed to have girlfriends. Like, they made, like, a little arrangement, you know? Mm-hmm. She was, like, she felt like she was being really generous oh, because, God. you know, she's like, oh, he's a young boy. He should have his fun. Mm-mm. And, uh... Like I said, he was a father of two, and he was only 15 years old. So I imagine that that, along with the embarrassment of the trial and everything, really affected his mental health. Yeah. And he ended up dropping out of high school, and his mother was granted custody of the two children. And he struggled a lot with depression and alcoholism mm. and actually attempted suicide in March of 1999. Mm. And in 2002, Villy's family sued the Highland School District and the city of Desmond's Washington, which is, I guess, where they lived, for emotional suffering, lost wages, and the cost of re- uh, raising his two children. Mm. And they claimed that the school and the police department had failed to protect him from Mary and following a 10-week trial, no damages were awarded. Okay. 
And once released from prison, Mary was registered as a sex offender Uh and moved in with Billy, Uh who was now 21 years old, so the couple and their children could live as a family. And the couple married in 2005. However, they would inevitably end up separating in 2019. Shocker. However, Billy has maintained that he did not consider Mary abusive. But I'm going to go ahead and say um, she is. Yep. And I kind of tried to go into this with a little bit of an open mind to be like, okay, like, you know, let me get to the the bottom of this. But after seeing this interview, this lady is so manipulative. And she, so like... The, the actually the interview is uncomfortable to watch if you got if you got some time watch the documentary on youtube because it's the interviewer is like asking her questions and she doesn't take accountability for literally anything and she does a lot of blaming villy for their relationship even though he was oh, 12 years old at the yeah. time so you could tell she's super manipulative and was very argumentative with the interviewer so you know she is like so the interviewer is basically like you know don't you feel like you took advantage of him because you're 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 older and she was like oh, well i wasn't the pursuer he pursued me and she he's like but but you were the adult like you should have you should have known this was wrong because like I mean, let's be honest. We've all had that teacher growing up that we think is kind of cute. Yeah. And, you know, we think he's just going to, they're just going to be, like, all over you. But, you like, you flirt and the teacher's like, get fuck yeah. out of here, you're yeah. 12. You know what I mean? Yeah. We all had a crush on a teacher. Uh, on a teacher at one point. Mm-hmm. But she's like, no, I I wasn't the boss in the relationship. And so she, like, turns to <laughs> Billy and is like, is like who's the boss? Who was the boss? And he was like, "What, huh?" And she's like, "Who's the boss? Who was the boss? Who was the boss?" Who was the-? And she just keeps. She literally. No. She literally keeps saying, "Who? Who I was the boss? Who was the boss?" I and he's he, he's like he's like this is he's like this is getting kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm gonna need you to simulate to that video. Yeah, because she is just so crazy, and she does a lot of the talking for him, uh-huh. and uh, yeah. She's just, and you can even tell, like, they interview her children and the daughter at some point, like, the older daughter's 21 when this documentary was made, and, you know, she talks about, like, oh, you know, I think about, like, my dad, like, when him and my mom moved to get, moved in together, they were, like, he was 21, and, like, I'm 21 now, and I think about, like, you know, like, oh, I can have a legal drink now, but he couldn't. And the mom's like, whoa, 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 you're not going to have a, you're not going to be drinking. She was like, well, I'm not actually going to be drinking. But you can already tell that, like, she is so controlling over oh, her God. children as well as her husband. And so, you know, it is very obvious that he was groomed oh, and yeah. kind of has... I would almost say, like, a Stockholm Syndrome. Like, he doesn't know any different. So, oh, yeah. he, yeah, it's just all around bad. And she, mm-mm-mm. 
she is asked at one point, like, do you think it's wrong that you had sex with this teenager, you know, when you were in your 30s? And she was like, well, teenagers have sex. And he was like that. Yeah, and the, with and each other. Was like, That's, that wasn't... <laughs> That that wasn't the que- that wasn't the question. The question was, do you think it was wrong? And she and she just kept going. Do they not have sex? Do teenagers not have sex? Do they do they do they not have sex? They do they not have they have sex? And the Ugh. interviewer's like that was not is the question. Irrelevant. Also, he that wasn't was even a teenager. Uh, if she wants to get technical about it, he wasn't a teenager, anyways. Hmm. Uh, So the two separate, and Mary ends up dying in July of 2020 from cancer at the age of 58. And uh, as of now, Billy, as well as his two daughters, still live in the Washington area. Oh, good. That's rough. Yeah, that's bad. I don't understand. I mean, she just, she has to, yeah, manipulative is I guess all it is. Yeah. It's, it ain't good. No. Uh, no. And the fact that, you know, I, I feel really bad for the kids as well as Philly. Because even though I'm sure that at some point there was a little bit of love with Philly, it's almost like he's been manipulated to feel this way. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So to anybody out there listening, you cannot get into a relationship with a 12-year-old um, or anybody under the age, they cannot consent to a relationship with you, even if the boy or girl is making a move. You have to say no as yep. the adult. You, you do have to say no. And I feel like some people's argument is like, when you see people who are older and it's like, you know, like a 30-year-old dating a 50-year-old, it's like, see, age doesn't matter. I'm like... So, like, an age gap doesn't necessarily always matter, but I think the age at which you are when those relationships are going on Ooh, is yeah. very important. I mean, even me and Brandon, we're, like, four years apart, which means when I was, you know, like, 10, he was 14, already a teenager, you know, doing high school shit, and I was still, I don't know, probably playing Barbies. It matters. Now, when I'm mm-hmm. 80 and he's 84... Yeah, it won't matter. But age does matter it sometimes. It, it do matter sometimes. Put that on a t-shirt. Age matters sometimes. Yeah, make it, people. Uh, yeah, well, thank you for that. Um, just awesome story. I, th- I think I definitely have heard that yeah, before. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, but I didn't remember, like, the names or anything. And I didn't remember the specifics. So, yeah. Um... Yeah, and I feel like it's referenced in, like, pop culture sometimes, but you don't necessarily know the names. You just know that, you know, a teacher had a baby with a a kid. Yeah. But again, I feel like I always went and, like, heard that story and thought that it was, like, a 16-year-old, which still is not good. Yeah. But the fact that it was a a 12-year-old makes it even worse. Just awful. Just awful. Um, anyways, are we ready for my awful story? Oh, yes, please. And I will have to tell all the people, if you don't like listening to me talk, I do apologize. Last week, I said I did my longest case ever. 
unfortunately, this week has beaten that record. Um, so I'm just going to get right into it. And I didn't realize it was getting so long, but I was just tapping and tapping and tapping and tapping. And I was like, oh my God. So anyways, I'm going to make it as succinct as possible. I'm doing mine on Catherine Knight. Do you, have you heard of her? Um, potentially. You, Go ahead. you may once I get, get down to it. Uh, so sources, wikipedia.com, the Catherine, Catherine Knight page, all this interesting.com, an article by Katie Serena, checked by John Karofsky, and the Rotten Mango podcast episode 19. I'm telling you, the Wikipedia page on this was like one of the most in-depth Wikipedia pages for a murder case I've ever seen. So, Barbara Rohan and Jack Rohan were married, okay? And they lived in the small town of Aberdeen in New South Wales, Hunter Valley in Australia. So, the couple had four sons before Barbara began to have an affair with a man named Ken Knight, who was a friend and a co-worker of her husband, Jack. And because the families Mm. lived in a small town, uh, you know, they were pretty well known, and this affair caused quite the scandal. And the backlash from the community forced Barbara and Ken to move to a new town of Maury. And at this point... The children of uh, Barbara's family were split up, so the two eldest sons continued to live with their father, and the two younger sons were sent to live with an aunt in Sydney. So basically, Barbara didn't have no kids with her, and she just moved in with the man she was having an affair with. But Barbara and Ken ended up having four children together, which included two twin girls in 1955, and Catherine Knight was one of those twin girls. So... In 1959, though, when Catherine was four years old, her, so her mom's first husband, Jack, died, and, you know, he had kept the two older boys, and so they ended up having to move in with their mother and Ken and into the home that Catherine was living in. So, basically, from the start, Catherine was, like, born into a, you know, dysfunctional, pretty split-up family situation from the start. And to make it worse, her father was, drumroll, an alcoholic. Um, Oh, no. Yes, who was violent. And he would rape uh, his wife, Catherine's mother, up to ten times a day. And Barbara, the mother, though, she did not shield her children from this. She instead would tell her daughters about the details of her sex life and how much she hated men and sex. Um, so not good. Not starting out well. Not at all. And Catherine was also reportedly uh, sexually abused by members of her family as a child, which continued until she was 11 years old. So, obviously, a very unstable situation for Catherine. And because of this, naturally, she wasn't really close with anyone in her family. Um, The only people she was really comfortable with were her twin sister and her uncle Oscar. Um... But her uncle died by suicide in 1969, and she was devastated because of this. So at this point, really the only person she had was her twin sister. Well, she had that she liked, you know. And then that year, her family moved back to Aberdeen. So there was a lot of change in life. You know, moving, your, your favorite uncle dies, just all sorts. So... By this point, she's in high school. And so when she gets to Aberdeen, she attended Muswell Brook High School. 
And in high school, she was known as both a loner and a bully. But she was one of those bullies who would bully and pick on, like, the smaller kids. You know, just just the kind that really is like, what? And she assaulted at least one boy in school with a weapon. And she was injured once by a teacher because the teacher was having to act in self-defense when Catherine tried to attack her. But, um, when she was not acting out, she was actually considered, quote, a model student. And she even earned awards for her good behavior. So it really sounds like she would just flip a switch. Like, you know, sometimes she would just be, like, really good. And other times, you know, she would be set off and get angry. Which, obviously, she has some trauma that's not being dealt with. So that's probably where a lot of this anger's coming from. Uh, But, you know, this is, like, the 60s. Or early 70s, so, you know, not too much mental health uh, focus. But Catherine really didn't spend much time in high school because she did not graduate. She left high school when she was 15. And when she left, she did not know how to read or write. But she did get a job. She worked as a cutter in a clothing factory. And she worked there for about a year. But she left that job and got her dream job. And her dream job was cutting offal, uh, which is basically the leftovers from the meat at a slaughterhouse. So she was cutting up the just nasty waste at a slaughterhouse. And this was her dream job. Um, You know, we all have different dreams. So her her dream job was not even (laughs) to cut up the good parts of the meat. To cut up the left... She's making the hot dogs is what you're telling me. Yeah. She's grinding that shit up. Yeah. And making it into a sausage or Uh something. Yes, exactly. Some liver mush, if you will. Um, For those of Mm -hmm. you who are listening who don't know what liver mush is, some people also call it liver pudding or scrapple. Liver mush is different. It's much better. It's it's less uh, squishy. But really the only place I know that makes liver mush is uh, for my... Like, my hometown, it's like a couple miles from my house, but they don't ship that stuff out very far. It goes to the local stores, and that's about it. So, if you ever see Max Liver Mush, grab you a pack. It's worth it. <laughs> you probably no, won't no. unless you're in western North Carolina. If you ever go to Asheville, you might see it. No. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, if you're going to find it, it's probably going to be, what is it, Nieces? Is that the other brand? Yeah, that's big? not not the best. I can I can envision the wax packaging. Yeah. We got some nieces recently. It just uh, it's not the same as liver mush. Anyways, like I said, she loved this job and she was very excited when she was promoted and she was given her own set of butcher's knives and she was able to take these knives home and she hung them over her bed so that they were always there if she needed them. Which, you know, you, you might need some uh, self-defense weapon. I don't think you need all those knives. I think maybe it one sounds, knife would work. It sounds kind of dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Hanging them over your bed. Not the best plan. Hanging them over your bed. I went to a breakfast restaurant recently, and they had, like, cast iron skillets hanging from the ceiling and, yeah. like, shit like that. And I was like, what ha- Y'all got a lot of faith. Yeah. And, you know. This these hooks that are whole... <laughs> You got a lot of you got a lot of faith because if this cast iron skillet hits somebody while they're enjoying their eggs and toast, 
it's gonna kill them. Yeah, lawsuit galore. If I was that uh, business's lawyer, I would say no, hell no. Take the cast irons off the ceiling. They do got good breakfast though. They have a uh, like challenge where if you eat, I'm talking these are huge pancakes, like huge pancakes. <laughs> and if you eat the two pancakes and a sausage in like an hour, you get a t-shirt. Damn. I don't like pancakes enough for so, that. Come on down. Make it chicken tenders. Uh, it just blew. I like pancakes, but I can only eat but so much. They just blow up in my stomach. Oh, yeah. Now, in 1973, Catherine met a man named David Collette, and uh, he was her co-worker. And so, David was a pretty, he was a heavy drinker, but this stemmed from a previous, like, work incident. He had some trauma. He had witnessed one of his, like, best friends die on the job, and so he just had some trauma, and, you know, he was a drinker, and this drinking would lead him to get into fights, but... Catherine would always be there, backing him up, ready to swing. Uh, So naturally, this couple fell in love, and they decided to get married. Mm. So in 1974, the couple got married, and they arrived to their wedding ceremony on Catherine's motorcycle with David very drunk. So that's the entrance. Now, as soon as they arrived at- That is what you should have (laughs) done for yours. I should have. I think I arrived in some sort of- Tahoe or something. Just something that I could fit that big old dress on. Um, now, as, as soon as they arrived at the ceremony, Catherine's mother uh, gave David a little bit of advice about Catherine. And this is what, this is like what he's saying that the mom says. This is like from David's voice. The old girl said to me, watch out. You better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. Don't ever think of playing up on her, which means cheating. She'll fucking kill you. And that was her mother talking. She told me she's got something loose. She's cut a screw loose somewhere. Uh, but this did not... You know what? (laughs) I get it. If he do cheat, end him. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but this did not deter David. Uh, The two got married. He was also very drunk at this time, so I mean, yeah. Um, But it should have deterred him because on their wedding night, Catherine actually tried to strangle him because apparently he fell asleep after they had had sex only three times and she was not happy. So she basically tried to kill him on the wedding night, but didn't work. And, you know, David, maybe he... He thought of it as a little bit of a red flag, but not too much because the relationship continued and the two went on to have children together. Um, but not surprisingly, the marriage was quite violent. One time, while Catherine was very pregnant, she took David's clothes and his shoes and burned them. And uh, when he got home, she hit him on the back of the head with the frying pan, all because he had arrived home late after competing in a darts competition. And now the reason that he was late was because he made it to the final round of the competition. So he was out a little longer than he thought because he did well. So I'm picturing him coming home and be like, oh my gosh, you won't believe it. We won. And she's like, bang, right over the head with the frying pan. Uh, Heavily pregnant, mind you, while she's doing this. 
Damn. So, uh, obviously, this incident made David fear for his life, and he fled the home and ended up running to a neighbor's house and collapsed in their house and had to be treated for a severely fractured skull at the hospital. So, after this, the police went to talk with Catherine about the incident. But she was able to charm the police and David, and no charges were filed against her for this incident. Now... In 1976, not long after the birth of their first child, Melissa Ann, and also not long after the incident that occurred, David left Catherine. He was like, I can't do this anymore, but he also left her for another woman who lived in Queensland. So the day after he left Catherine, uh, Catherine was spotted pushing her newborn baby in a stroller down the street. And people said she was violently swinging the stroller with the baby in it from side to side. Just like, I'm just picturing she's like pushing it, but just like jerking her around, like jerking the baby around. And people saw her doing this and they reported it and she was admitted to St. Elmo's Hospital where she was diagnosed with postnatal depression and spent several weeks in the hospital. But when she left the hospital, when she was discharged... She was apparently given immediate access back to her child, which I find strange. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And she pretty much, once she got her child back, she took the child, who was now two months old, and placed her on a railroad track right before a train was supposed to be coming. Catherine then stole an axe and went into town, threatening to kill people. Uh, Luckily, though, a man in the area, he was like, kind of like a like a drifter in the area you know he, he hung out he was foraging near the railroad and saw melissa and was able to rescue her from the tracks um before anything bad happened and again following this incident Catherine was admitted to saint elmo's but she was only there for one night and she signed herself out the next day you know i don't know it's just me, but that sounds like a crime. Like, shouldn't she have, like, gone to jail or something? Not just the, the hospital for a night and been able to sign herself out? She put her baby on a railroad track yes. to get run over yeah. by a railroad, and she threatened people with an axe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even if you, even if you couldn't prove that she's the one that left the baby on the railroad tracks, uh, you could prove that she ran through town with an axe. Yeah, and at least there's probably witnesses. At least some negligence, because how did the baby get on the railroad tracks if not for her either taking it herself or letting somebody else take it? Um, now. A few days after being released from the hospital, Catherine was not done, you know, just going around and doing some crazy stuff. She found a woman and demanded that this woman take her to find her husband, David. And she was so angry, she slashed the woman in the face during the incident. But first, she told the woman to drive her to a service station. Um, And so they got to the service station. But luckily, when they got there, the woman was able to escape away uh, from Catherine. And somebody called the police. And the police arrived, but before they arrived, Catherine had already taken a boy hostage at the station and was threatening to kill him with a knife. But luckily, the police were able to detain Catherine, and the way that they were able to detain her was by beating her with brooms. Um, this story, (laughs) I was reading it, and I was like, I've heard it before, but I was like, you've got to be shitting me. Like, how... 
is this possible? Uh, so yeah, they beat her with brooms and she was again admitted to a psychiatric hospital. And while at the hospital, she told the nurses that she wanted to, the reason she wanted to go to the service station is because she wanted to kill the mechanic at the gas station who had repaired her husband, David's car, which had allowed him to leave her. God. Like, that is just, and then she said her plan after that was to go to Queensland to kill both David and his mother. I don't think his mother lived in Queensland, but basically he wanted to go to Queensland, kill David, and then for some reason, kill his mom. Now, this part is not going to make any sense. Uh, but what had happened next, David, I guess, got word of this. And uh, he left his girlfriend and decided to move back to Aberdeen. Maybe he thought, maybe he really thought that Catherine just was facing some mental health issues and she needed help, you know. And he had a kid with her. So, he moved back to Aberdeen and he moved in with his mother. And Catherine also moved in with his mother. And uh, they were both caring for Catherine. Um, and so at this point, it seems maybe they just thought, you know, she had some serious mental health issues and maybe, you know, they could help her. Um, but, and, and it kind of did work because after they moved in with his mother, Catherine became somewhat more stable. She actually got another job at Denmore Meatworks and the couple kind of rekindled. Um, they rekindled enough to have another daughter together named Natasha Marie. But, in 1984, Catherine, she left David. She was like, mm, oh well, I don't want to be with you anymore. So Catherine left David after all of this. Now, all right. yeah, obviously this marriage was wild. Um, and one would think, hey, maybe after this, maybe we shouldn't try marriage again. But Catherine was like, no, I want to try it again. And I want to try it again with another man named David. So in 1986, oh. she met a man named David Saunders, who was a minor. He moved in with Catherine and her daughters, um, but he decided he was going to keep his apartment that he already had. He had an apartment in a place called Scone. Um, so, you know, he was just kind of moving in, but, you know, he still had his backup, which, you know, smart is smart to keep your own place. Mm -hmm. um, but, of course, Catherine did not trust him. She was jealous often, and she, you know, would kind of throw him out in a rage. And then, obviously, when that would happen, he'd go back to his apartment that he had, and she would come to his apartment and beg for him to come back. Uh, and you know, this relationship was just as toxic as the last one. Uh, and one day, uh, in May of 1987, Catherine, uh, now this part is sad. It's very sad. It involves the animal. Um, she was upset and the couple had a two month old dingo pup and Catherine oh, took, no. took the puppy and cut the puppy's throat just to show David that that would uh, be what she would do to him if she ever caught him cheating on her. And right after she did that to the puppy, she took a frying pan and knocked him unconscious. Oh my god. So, yeah. Just absolutely insane. But again... This relationship did not end after this incident. The two went on to have a daughter together and even buy a home. What? And they bought a home together. And Catherine decorated this home in her own special way, which was to hang up animal skins, skulls, rusty animal traps, machetes, pitchforks, just covering the whole house. Oh, 
oh yeah that sounds so great i think i saw that in better homes and gardens last month yeah so obviously a toxic relationship like this can't last forever um and after an argument between the two Catherine hit david in the face with an iron stabbed him in the abdomen with a pair of scissors and uh after this the two were over and david fled and went into hiding so Catherine could not find him she looked for him though this i'm gonna stop you right there yeah. this is really showing that men will do anything to get laid you ain't wrong and you know sh- they're like kill my do- kill my dog oh well fine fine let's have a kid let's have a kid and buy a house together like i honestly i can't what <laughs> meanwhile not that my boyfriend he i don't think he's ever raised his voice a day in his life but if he ever did i would just immediately leave i'm out i'd be like this is too much i know for i'm me. like i won't do it oh. heck no um i don't yeah but uh you know no need to worry Catherine and david they're over but it's fine it's fine because in 1997 uh she found love with a man named john chillingsworth and he was a co-worker of hers another co-worker and she became pregnant with uh a baby boy and she gave birth to him in 1998 um and honestly there isn't much detail for this relationship uh the two were together for three years and in the research it said that there was actually no violent incidents reported in this relationship which is compared to the others very shocking um but you know i guess she didn't like this just normal simple relationship because she left him for a man that she was having an affair with also named john and his name was john price so she dated she married two davids now she's been with two johns um i guess they are common names but what are the odds so Mm, yeah seems suspicious yeah so john price he was a father of three children and he was well liked by everyone who knew him he had been married before and his marriage ended in 1988 um and his youngest daughter lived with his ex-wife and the two older children lived with him now john was aware of Catherine's violent reputation um but i guess he was able to overlook this and honestly i feel like Catherine probably was able to charm him because she also seems like a manipulator and also she probably was like no you know those my husbands were the ones abusing me i'm sure she was able to turn it around and convince him to like mm-hmm. so they moved in together he allowed her to move into his home and at first all seemed well john was making decent money as a minor his children liked Catherine, and nothing nothing crazy was happening in the relationship but in 1998 Catherine made it clear and this was like right after they started dating she made it clear that she wanted to get married but John did not want to get married. And obviously this upset Catherine and the two were fighting over this. So to get back at him for his refusal to marry her, Catherine videotaped items that John had allegedly stolen from his work and sent the video to his boss. But these items that he took were literally out of date first aid kits that they were like just gonna throw away you know he probably saw them he's like nobody's gonna use these they're out of date so i mean i could at least take them for a band-aid or two um but i guess his boss was not very nice because john was fired from this job that he'd had for 17 years because Catherine wanted to be a little asshole which i'm like girl you know now he ain't got a job and you living with him like what that's just dumb on your part 
Also, his boss is an asshole because, listen, we all steal some things from our work. You know, <laughs> a pen here, yeah. a post-it there, you know. Yeah, and if it's an out-of-date first aid kit, ain't nobody going to use it. They just going to throw you it away. Buy... Yeah, you got because you got to buy one every single year. Yeah. Rude. She's rude, obviously. She's a little bit more than rude. Um, She's so rude, so God. Rude. So, John knew that Catherine was the reason that he was fired. Um, and when he got home that day after he got fired, he kicked her out. But a few months later, the two rekindled their relationship. But this time, John did not allow Catherine to move back in with him. Um, you know, he was trying to keep some boundaries. But at this point, the relationship continued to be toxic. And the fights between them increased. And, you know, at this point, John's friends were kind of like, Look, man, we're not going to hang out with you anymore if you're still with her. I'm sure they've been telling him for, you know, years and year or however long to break up with this, break up with her. And he wasn't listening. So now he's kind of, you know... He's kind of isolated. He ain't got no friends. He's just with her. He's trying to take care of his kids. It's a bad situation. So now we're in February of 2000. And this is where everything really ramps up. So a series of assaults Mm. by Catherine led to her stabbing John in the chest. But she did not kill him. But she made him angry enough to where I guess he let her end up moving back in. And at this point, he kicked her back out again. So she was in and out, in and out. Uh, snip, snap, snip, snap. Um, so on February 29th of that year, uh, he went to a magistrate's court on his way to work and took out a restraining order on Catherine to try to keep her away from him and his children. And that same day, I guess John had found a new job and he said that if he did not come into work the next day, it would be because Catherine had murdered him. So after hearing this, his co- That's never no. a good sign. No. And after hearing this, his co-workers were concerned. And they begged him not to go home. I'm sure they were like, please just come stay with me. Um, but he feared that if he didn't go home that night, then she would do something to his children. Which this part's kind of confusing. Mm. Because when he got home, Catherine wasn't at the house. Which was good because she wasn't supposed to be, I don't guess. Um, but the kids were actually sleeping over at a friend's house, and so I don't know if the friend's house were close, and maybe, you know, he wanted to be nearby just in case something was going on. Um, but on this night, John had his usual nightly routine, which was to go to the neighbor's house, he hung out for a little bit, and he returned home around 11 p.m. and went to bed. Now, like I said, he had took out a restraining order on Catherine, um... But I guess Catherine still had access to the house. So she came home Mm. shortly after John went to bed and she made herself dinner, watched TV, took a shower. And then she went upstairs and woke John up and asked him to have sex with her. Now, like you said, a man will do anything to have sex. And so he just tried men they just trying to smash and he was and they did smash and you know maybe he was like you know this is the last time we're gonna be together took out this restraining order or he could have i don't know if he was drinking at the neighbor's house he could have you know in a in a sleepy state been like oh yeah i don't know what's going on but the two had sex and then he went back to bed but Catherine did not go to bed because after uh, they had sex, she pulled out one of her butcher knives that she kept beside the bed, and she stabbed him 37 times. Now, according... Yeah. 
according to the evidence, he actually woke up as he was being stabbed and tried to escape. It said that he ran through the house, managed to open up the front door and get outside, but he either stumbled back in or was dragged back in. And John ended up dying as a result of the stabbings because of blood loss, and he had died in the hallway of the home. So after John died, this is what Catherine did. She skinned his body. And then she took the skin and hung them from a meat hook in the living room over a doorway as if the skin were like a curtain in front of the doorway. She then decapitated him, cut his body into pieces so that she could cook the meat. So all of this went on that night. Now, now we're going to skip ahead slightly to the next day at 6 a.m., when a neighbor came home, no, bloop, it's 6 a.m. A neighbor became concerned because they noticed that John's car was still in the driveway. And when he didn't make it to work, a co-worker came to check on him as well. So both of them knocked on John's bedroom window, but no one answered. And then they went to the front door and they actually saw blood on the front door. So at that point, they called the police. And when the police got mm-hmm. to the home... They broke down the door, and they found John's body um, in the hallway, and they found Catherine in a comatose state laying next to him because she had taken a large number of pills in what looked like an attempted overdose. Now, another thing that the police found in the home were there was a meal set out on the table. The meal consisted of some meat, a baked potato, pumpkin, beetroot, zucchini, cabbage, yellow squash, and gravy. And there was two settings at the dinner table with notes beside each plate. And the notes had the names of John's children on them. Now you may be wondering (sighs) what the meat was. Well, the meat was the meat from John's body that Catherine had plated and was planning to serve to his own children. Now... I'm going to go ahead and say the house was absolutely covered in blood still. So I think this was some sort of, this was an episode, but I, I, I don't know how she thought the kids were actually going to come in there and eat it, but yeah. yeah. Now they, well, she's obviously not well. Did she eat it? Okay. Well, you know what? That's what I'm getting to next. So another meal, a third meal was found thrown outside in the backyard and it's unclear why, but in, Investigators think that Catherine actually tried to eat the meal and couldn't and just threw it out. Um, And this is gross, but my assumption is, you know, she probably didn't know how to cook it. And it was probably literally impossible to chew. Because I don't know if anybody's ever tasted like wild game meat that uh, you cook crudely in your home, as my husband did with a crow in a pot. It is very tough. Yeah. So. Cannot say I've done that. mm, Well, now you know. So, along with all of this being found, John's head was found in a pot on the stove with vegetables in it. And the pot was still warm, indicating that she had been cooking in the pot early that morning. Catherine also left a handwritten note on top of a photo of John in the home that read, quote, now there is some misspelling in here. 
but uh, try to stay with me. Time you got back Jonathan for raping my daughter, you beck for Ross for little John. Now play with little John's dick, John Price. So basically what she was trying to say is that John had been sexually abusing her children and his children, but these accusations were completely unfounded and not true. So I don't know if she was trying to say this to make him look like a bad guy to everybody. Um, but yeah. And if you look at the letter, like she spelled daughter. Probably to justify it. But yeah. But ma'am, you've stabbed every single other man you've been with. Yeah. And I don't want to be mean to people, you know, to people who can't spell, but she's an asshole. She spelled daughter, D-O-U-T-E-R. So just, yeah. Now, Catherine claimed she had no recollection of what happened the night of the murder. She had no idea, but it was clear that she had committed the murder. So obviously she was charged with it. Um, her trial began in October of 2001, but she ended up changing her plea to guilty and the judge adjourned the case with no testimony. She was immediately taken to prison and her papers were marked never to be released, which was the first time in the history of Australia that a woman was giving a life sentence with no parole. Catherine has appealed her sentence, claiming that the penalty was too harsh for the crime she committed. But uh, it was immediately denied, with the judge stating, quote, This was an appalling crime, almost beyond contemplation in a civilized society. Catherine is still serving time to this day, and she maintains her innocence. And that was the story of Catherine Knight. Um, it, I have heard the story. I knew it. I've listened to it. I did not realize, I guess, that it happened, like, she went to, it happened in 2000. This sounds like some, I mean, some Ed Gein shit. Yeah. It's too much. I, because you started telling the story, and it started off in, like, 70s or 80s, and I was like, all right, I see where this is going. And then you said 2000, and I was like, mmm. Yeah. And if you look up not the, the not that that changes anything, but it's but just it's it's a lot. And if you look up a picture of her, mm-hmm. like she looks like I don't know, she looks fairly just like a like a mom. I don't know. It's very odd. She don't look like a hardened criminal, that's for sure. She looks goofy. Yeah, she don't she she don't look like a person who would do this. I mean, I guess those people don't have that type of look. But anyways, um, that... Yeah, she just kind of looks goofy, I would suspect, like uh, Eileen Warnos. Yeah. I would I would see... You, you look at her and you're like, yeah, she would definitely cut and eat a man. But yeah. Not this lady. Crazy. Um, so, yeah, sorry everybody. That was a long one. That was a lot of me talking. But luckily... Maybe, maybe luckily, maybe not luckily. Next week, I will be in the beautiful country of Costa Rica on my honeymoon. So, we will not be having a new episode come out. But the week following, so not next week, but the next, we will be uh, doing our episode on the topic of creepy kids. Creepy kids. So... You know. Think paranormal, ghost kids. Yeah, think ghost paranormal. Demons, We're gonna... Kids being creepy. Uh-huh. 
So yeah, that's what we're gonna do. Um, what else? Follow us on all our stuff: Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok. Join our Facebook group. You know, email us at this is gonna sound weird at gmail.com. Did I miss anything? Nope. I think I think you hit it all. Um, wish Taylor good luck as she will be getting on an airplane. A th- uh, activity that she hates yes, with a passion. this is true. I'm gonna be crocheting, but, so that'll keep me calm. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna splurge and buy Paramount, get the Paramount Plus with no ads because you can download and watch it offline, so I'm gonna splurge and get that for the month so I can download some RuPaul's Drag Race to keep me calm on the plane. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Nothing nothing calms me down like drag queens. <laughs> you ain't wrong. <laughs> uh, but until next... No, not next week. Until two weeks from now. Mm-hmm. And until any time. Next time. Please, stay weird. Goodbye. Goodbye.